be seeing you out today, tonight. We've had a busy day. We've had a funeral here. It was kind of late in the afternoon and everything. I want you to continue to remember the Phillips family. We're going to kind of jump right into our lesson here. Let me take a moment of time to talk to you if you're new to our study on Wednesday nights. And we pass out a book. You can pick one up here in a minute. You won't need it tonight, per se. Simply, it's called a Bible overview. We're going through the process of skimming over for the purpose of for the purpose of just broadening our understanding of Scripture. Hopefully, through this process, we'll learn how this all fits together. However, as we started the very first book, Genesis is a book that we just could not skim over so quickly. We would, uh, we would have done a disservice to it. So we had to put the brakes on. And so the reason why I'm saying that, it almost makes the book um, n- not necessary right now. Because the book is just a brief overview, historical timelines, uh, themes such as that. So the latter two weeks, um, Jace has been sharing with us from Adam. And from fig leaves to faith. Isn't that right, church family? From fig leaves to faith last week. And Sherry and I was both out and uh, w- w- still struggling just a little bit of uh, that, that congestion or whatever that evil satanic stuff is. Uh, I was trying to describe it to Alyssa. And I know for lack of a better words, we used to call, I don't know what the little, not a caterpillar, but we used to call them thousand-leggers. That's what we called them. What are the, what, there's an official centipede. I told Alyssa, I said, it feels like a centipede has cra- crawled up my sinuses and just like circling up in there. <laughs> I know, that'll wake you up right there, won't it, huh? And so, uh, but I, I'm glad to be back here tonight and the privileged opportunity to share. So I want to go, I want to jump in. Where I'm going to take us here real quickly is I'm going to go to Abraham tonight. And so in doing so, as Jace was moving with um, the teaching from Adam and the garden and uh, from there, I'm going to go ahead and, and go way past the uh, the story of Noah and the ark, as important as that is, and certainly creationism kind of falls in there equally as well. Um, but I just want to go ahead and pick it up here and just want to give you a little bit of information, but we're not even going to look at Abraham's life. I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief overview, but it's in Genesis chapter number 11, I believe it is, verse number 26, and you can go ahead and kind of find that if you want to, and that's where Abram is just first mentioned, and we call him Abraham, but it's actually Abram initially, and um, Chapter number 11, I believe it's verse number 26, gives us the genealogy of Terah. Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And uh, then it carries on again with the generations, and it goes beyond this. And uh, it takes to where the 31st verse of the 11th chapter, we'll just kind of read that too. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran and dwelt there. That's the 31st verse of the, of the 11th chapter. And the days of Tyre were 205 years, and Tyre died in hate and harm. So, so from the 11th chapter, I'll just put it down here, from the end of the 11th chapter through the 25th chapter of the book of Genesis is a record. Let me go ahead and switch pens here. Of Abram, but I'm gonna go ahead and call him Abraham now. So, just so you'll kind of see. So the so there's about what is that? About 14 or uh, or 15 verses or, or chapters in the book of Genesis that's almost entirely focused on Abraham's life. And 
It concludes in the 25th chapter in the 8th verse with these words. And Abraham gave up the ghost, and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. Now that alone is a promise to us, isn't it? Something that should be a stimulus to each one of us here tonight. Because that's how I want to die. Right? Is it more? I had a funeral today, so death is not morbid to me. Because heaven compels us. And so... But at the same time, I want to live my life to the fullest of God's glory. And it seems like Abraham exhausted, you know, his capacity to live for God. He did everything that he could. And he, he lived and died in a good old age. He was an old man and he was full of years. There's some significant events. And I just want to kind of take you through these just real quickly about Abram over those chapters 12 through chapters 25 that as I call these out, it'll be a stimulus in your mind. We're not going to study them, but I don't want to omit kind of just, it just helps you to broaden it. This is an overview before we focus in on one particular element of Abraham's life that I want to talk about tonight. First of all, the call. We're going to read the call of Abraham in just a moment, and uh, certainly that's where it starts. But then his journey, his journey takes him from Haran all the way down into Canaan and then through Canaan all the way into Egypt. Uh, certainly the promise is what we're going to look at in a moment. His wife, Sarah, is a very um, critical component in the life of Abraham as, as his journey unfolds in Scripture. So she cannot be omitted. Matter of fact, she's one of the few women that in the Hebrew Hall of Faith plainly says that by faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. By faith, she received strength. So we can't omit her. Uh, their journey to Egypt, the things that took place in Egypt... Uh, then we have also his relationship with his nephew Lot. We can remember the division that took place over their herdsmen and how Lot took the best of the land, camped towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we remember also that there was a battle with kings because there was a certain group of kings that came out and took Lot captive in the, in the passage of Scripture. And Abraham is really a shepherd and not a warrior, but he rose up in power uh, and, and in authority and, and traded in his shepherd's staff for a sword. And he and a few shepherds go and attack these armies. And they, they win a great victory. They gain a lot of spoil for battle. And they recover Lot and, uh, and all their, their, their kinsmen that were taken. And they didn't lose a single one. God's a God of recovery, isn't he? He is. It's powerful. And also in Genesis 14 is one of the most, uh, perhaps one of the most uh, overlooked and yet um, important passages in all the Word of God is where Abraham meets Melchizedek, the priest of Salem, who, which was it's believed to be modern or be uh, historical Jerusalem. If you'll see Jerusalem, and uh, Melchizedek is the priest of the Most High God. He meets him with bread and wine, and the Bible says that the lesser is blessed of the greater. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Both the psalmist and the writer of Hebrews tells us the significance of that moment for Jesus Christ as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's powerful. And I know this is kind of, if you're unfamiliar to those terms, you're like, Pastor, I don't even know how to even say that, Melchizedek. Uh, But if you, you know, once you study the scriptures enough, you'll start seeing some of these things that I'm talking about. We also remember that the, the Lord cared so much about Abraham that before he pronounced and brought judgment upon the cities of the plain, including Sodom and Gomorrah, that we would judge by hailstones from heaven for multiple reasons. Um, we know that the angel of the Lord went and talked to Abram, literally dialogued with him and Abraham back and forth 
if he could find 10 righteous people in the city, started at 50 and ended at 10, if he could find just 10 righteous people, God said he had spared the city, but the only righteous man there was Lot and his, and his family. And so then we remember the story of Ishmael, how that Abraham st- uh, stumbled through the tent of Hagar, right, and produced Ishmael at when, and, uh, when he was 87 years old, and then the Lord reappeared to him later because Abraham hoped that that was the promised son, but God said that's not the promised son. And when he was 99 years of age, the Lord reappeared to him, promised him a son. And by this time, his loins had lost their capability of producing a seed. Sarah's womb was no longer capable of producing or housing a child. But how many know that's what God does sometimes? He just comes right at the time where it's just not humanly possible, right, for his glory and for his will to be done. And so uh, that, that alone's a powerful story. And, and some of that could unfold in the weeks ahead. I'm not saying we're not going to go into that. I'm saying that but for tonight we're not going to. And then um, we also have the Genesis chapter 22 is biblically as important as any other chapter in all the Word of God. And that is, um, that's where, we don't have to go there, but I'm just saying that's where he offers Isaac up on the mountain of Moriah, which was a foreshadowing of when Jesus himself Remember the famous passage there when Isaac turned and looked at the father and said, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, being both a patriarch and a prophet, declares, Son, God himself shall provide for himself a sacrifice. How I many you know he did? Didn't he? He sure did. Man, you could preach right there, and this is just active. This stirs your preaching. If you've got any preacher left in you, it, it stirs it right here. And... Um, so that one's very powerful, and certainly then when you've got time to choose a wife for Isaac, that's a powerful story in and of itself. And uh, then we have Sarah's death recorded in the Word of God, and then we lastly conclude in the 25th chapter of Genesis with the death of Abraham at 175 years of age. He lived a full life, didn't he? He sure did. But the, the, the thing I want to focus on tonight, is, uh, so it's not necessarily about the life of Abraham tonight in any capacity, but it's about what God promised him. That's what I want to focus on tonight. So I want you to, I want to talk about this right here tonight. I want to talk a little bit about covenant. That's a powerful word, is it? It's a word that we use and we probably are always still trying to learn of what fully was in the heart and mind of God when God chose to use this term of covenant. We see that begin in the Genesis chapter number 12. And this is where there are kind of three aspects. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Many of you are familiar with this term, but it's a promise that God has made to Abraham. And you have to see this, that God had a plan. That's what this whole purpose of this Bible study is. It's to help, it's help you and I see the plan of God. Correct? To see that. And I think that was one of the points that Jace was making through the fall of Adam in the Genesis, that before Adam even transgressed. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. God had a plan, and we want to see this plan unfolded. And and, and the plan included a covenant that he made with Abraham. And we're going to try to discover what that means for you and I here tonight, if we can. This is certainly a a, a subject that's very deep. Uh, It would go beyond my pay grade. Certainly, in my ability to articulate it, I'm continually learning. It's one of the things that mesmerizes me. When I, there's some things in Scripture that every time I look at it and I study it, I mean, it just kind of mesmerizes me spiritually. And it, 
and it, and it confirms in me of, of my salvation experience. And this particular one that we're talking about tonight is one of those subjects. So let's look at Genesis chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3, and let's just see what God said to Abraham initially. And this is what's going to be noted as the initial promise. And that's what we're going to be. We're, we're going to come back to it in just a minute. But just see, this is the initial promise. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, we remember the writer of Hebrews said that Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. This was a journey of faith. He didn't say, go here because I'm telling you where to go. He said, I want you to go, and as you go, I'm going to tell you where to go. Notice how he said it there. He said, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Isn't that powerful? And so that's the initiation of the covenant promise made to Abraham. It contains a certain promise that we're going to look at here in just a moment. And that's when it was the initial promise, I should say. But we look over to, just to kind of put it together, we jump to Genesis chapter number 15. And we're omitting a lot of the story of the history of Abraham, but we're just trying to pick this up where God reappears to him and, uh, in essence, initiates or renews this covenant in Genesis chapter number 15. Some years have taken place from the time that Abraham begins his journey, and at this particular time, he still is childless. And so let's just kind of read it for a moment and just help us to understand it. Verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. And after these things, what are these things? The battle with the kings, the recovery of Lot, the blessing of Melchizedek. And says, After these things, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now remember, we look back to that initial promise in the 12th chapter. There was a promise that he would have descendants. He said that he would make him of a great nation, and uh, that, there, that the families of the earth would be blessed through him. But when he said he would make of him a great nation, he knew that he would have to have descendants, Right? That if you're going to be a great nation, you can't, you can't just die childless. And that's where Abraham was feeling this at this particular moment. And, and so he said, I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me that has given no seed. How many of you ever felt like that in your life? You had a promise from God, and, you know, kind of years later you're like, What's going on here, Lord? Where's this at? You know, I've got this promise in my heart, but it's just not happened as of yet. We have to be very careful, and this is why we see it recorded in the Word of God. And Abram said, Behold, to me you've given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is, my, uh, is mine heir, and, and he's not my son. And so, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So the word of the Lord comes to him here in the fourth verse, and he says, This shall not be thine heir. Eliezer and his son's not going to be your heir. He said, But he, so again, here's the promise. He that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. Now remember what he said in the 12th chapter. He said, A great nation. Now in the 5th verse, he says, Look toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. Come on, that's powerful. Have you ever seen the star on a fully lit up night sky when it seems to span the entire horizon from east to west and north to south? 
And it's just, it's beyond your ability to, you know, to count. And the Lord has taken him here. And he said, if you be able to number, so shall thy seed be. And then it says, and he believed in the Lord. And it counted to him for righteousness. And that's the famous passage of Scripture that Paul argues as the point of faith for righteousness in Romans chapter number 4 that we're not going to get to tonight. But it's powerful here. And so then the Scripture gives a, uh, tells how this covenant is um, renewed. Verse number 7. Let's go ahead and read it down for just a moment. And, and I'm not going to go into all the depths of, of covenant exchanges in any capacity based upon Middle Eastern culture and everything. And you've probably studied that out some, and I have too in the past. But that's not, it's not the process of covenant. It's the promise of covenant that I want to talk about tonight and the recipient of covenant. And so, but I want you to see this, though, because the Lord, so the Lord says to him, I'm the Lord that brought thee out of the, the of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. So now here's this promise of this land, the land of Canaan. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And so here, God comes to him and he says unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So if you get this mental image that he's taken these animals that God has given him and he's divided them, and the, as, as he's waiting, just waiting on God, that the fowl of the air are coming down to steal away the carcasses, and Abraham drives them away. And then verse number 12 kind of shows you where God appears. And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So obviously he's promising that that seed, that descendants, that lineage that, that, that he's promising is going to be hidden in the womb of Egypt for 400 years. And he said, There's, I'm going to bring them back to the land that you're in right now. And so, and it came to pass, but notice this, when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And so God himself is walking through the pieces, just like God walked in the garden with, uh, of Eden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Now God himself is walking in, in, in the form of a, of a bright and, and a burning lamp, and he's passing between those pieces. And that same day, the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham and he promises once again, the 18th verse, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And so he lists off the land. So there's this promise. And so you've got a little bit of image of this. So in the 12th chapter, we see that God came to Abraham, made a promise to him. I want you to get up. I want you to leave. Go to a land that I will show you because I'm going to make of you a great nation. Many years pass. God's blessed him, but he still has no seed, no promised child as of yet. And so he's kind of frustrated. So he dialogues with God. God takes him outside, shows him the night stars and says, no, I, I, I'm going to fulfill my word. God will fulfill his word. Let's just accept that in our heart. If God said it, he's going to fulfill it. Amen. And so then this covenant exchange takes place where God himself passes through the parts as if he is uh, ratifying this covenant, promising that he's going to fulfill his part of the covenant. And so then we go to Genesis chapter number 17. And now between Genesis chapter number 15 and Genesis chapter number 17, we have something called Ishmael. 
This is where the Bible says in Romans chapter number 4 that Abraham stumbled not in unbelief. And I believe that. But the reality is he did lean himself into the wrong tent for a little while. (laughs) Do you all understand what I'm saying right there? I don't want to say anything of unbelief about the patriarch Abraham because he did not stumble in unbelief. But he certainly wavered in the sense that he took it upon himself in the flesh. He does that. I mean, you can really share this. and You can really relate. If you're looking for a point to relate to, he had a promise, and he got tired of waiting, waiting on God. And so he sought to activate it or initiate it in the flesh. And in doing so, again, he created a crisis that still exists to this very day. Correct? And so you're familiar with this because uh, we talked about it before. But just for that moment of time, the reason why we make this very personal is that you and I have promises of God. And But the Bible says, they who through faith and patience are those that are going to inherit the promises. We have to learn to wait on the Lord. Correct? And so the, the greatest challenge for you and I is to mortify fleshly desires. And so Abraham, unfortunately, has fallen prey to his fleshly appetite. He heeded the counsel of his wife, Sarah, and uh, he's gone in into her handmaiden, uh, Hagar. He's produced Ishmael. And, uh, and so he's kind of accepted that in his mind and says, you know, that Ishmael's going to be the promised uh, child. And so, but then in the 17th chapter, we're going to kind of pick this up again. We might have to glean over it very quickly, but I wanted you to see this, and I'm going to just write down a few things on the board in just a moment. So let's see this again. When Abram was 90 years old, 99, excuse me, the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And so that's still in accordance with the previous exchange of words that he's given to Abraham. But he says, Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made. He's declaring uh, a lineage of Abraham. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between... Notice the 7th and the 8th verse. We'll come back to it in a moment. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." And Abraham said, or excuse me, God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou, thy seed after thee in their generations. And then here's the sign of covenant that's instituted right here, which is circumcision. Notice this, the 10th verse. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it's a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. He that is of the eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man child. Every one. Now notice the 13th and the 14th verse. Not just those that are the natural seed of Abraham. It's important that you catch that in a moment. But he that is born in your house, he that is bought with your money, must needs be circumcised. In that culture, they had bond servants. And so he said, if you have purchased a bond servant, he said, and he's brought into your house, that bond servant's going to be circumcised to bring him into this covenant. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And then it goes on here 
where Abraham tries to dialogue about Ishmael, but God said, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. He promises to make Ishmael of a great nation, but he's promising that Sarah is going to have a son. And that's in verses 17 and 18 and 19. Matter of fact, let's read verse 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, remember her, the wife of your old age right there, the, you know, uh, the, the leaders of Young at Heart, um, the, they, they're, they're camping on Golden Pond, and uh, he said, Sarah, thy wife, is going to bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So it's powerful. And time's going to fail me, so I'm going to have to just draw the line on it. I just wanted you to see it. There's three things I'm going to put here on the board at least real quickly, or three passages. We've got Genesis chapter number 12, and we have a promise that is initiated. And I'm going to pick up on that promise here, for, and I'll go ahead and write it down, because I want you to see that, and I think it's important. That, co- that promise that was first made, God said, I will make of you a great nation. That was the promise. Now, you have to look at this. I mean, I want you to see that. At the time that that came, Abraham is married. He has a wife. He has no children. He has a nephew that he's close to, and that's the extent of his family. But God came to him and said, I'm going to make of you a nation. Now, think about that for just a moment of time. A nation, a great nation, and you're just standing here and say, it's just me and my wife, and that's all it is. And God gives a prophetic declaration, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That alone is powerful, isn't it? That's God that calls things that be not as though they were, isn't it, right there? Declaring of this man that I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then, let's go a little bit farther. In chapter number 15, verse number 5, so I'll put this one down here. He said, your descendants, let's pick it up, your descendants. And the descendants, this was a promise, are going to be like what? The stars of heaven. Isn't that what he said? God said your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven. And then in Genesis chapter 15, verse number 18, we also have an additional promise. It's a promise of land, right? Land from the great river Euphrates, right, all the way to Egypt, correct? So it's that land. We looked at the, um, what, what, was that, what was that called? The, the Fertile Crescent, all the way up to the Fertile Crescent, where it starts and going all the way down into Egypt. There's a promise of land that would be given to him and his descendants. And then in chapter number 17, verse number 6, and it's important that you catch this, and I just see the way God wrote this in, in the Scriptures, is that he said that there are going to be nations, let's put it right here, nations and kings. Don't lose sight of some of this. I want you to catch hold of these words here in just a moment. And then chapter 17, verses 7 uh, through 8, is that the promise was to him, and I want to go ahead and put this down here, chapter 17, verse number 8, the promise was to him and his seed. Right? Isn't that what we read? Go ahead and look back there at chapter 17, verse number 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so when you see that, that's a powerful covenant, isn't it? I mean, just look at that. A man, his wife, and his nephew. And the Lord says to this man, I'm making a promise with you that I'm going to take of you and you're going, to have a na- you're going to become a great nation. And then of your descendants, they're going to be so numerous that they outshine the stars that are in heaven. And then the land that, that you're standing on or I'm going to take you into, uh, he said, I'm going to give that land to you. Matter of fact, I remember, if I remember correctly, it was all the land that his feet would trod on. Isn't that a powerful promise? 
right? That wherever your feet trod, God said, I'm going to give you this. And then out of you, out of these descendants are going to come kings, not nations, not just a nation, but nations. Kings are going to come out of you. And that this promise is made with you and your seed after you. Isn't that powerful? It's just powerful to go back and look at it. It's known as the Abrahamic covenant. So let me go ahead and begin to transition this for a moment because I want to make it, I'm going to focus on one element of it here in just a moment. Obviously, the Abrahamic covenant is the reason that the modern state of Israel exists. Modern state of Israel. Let me go ahead and not, I'm not trying to tie it to the contemporary issue of the modern state of Israel, but when Israel regathered in 1948, they were driven, they're driven, the people, the, what we call the ethnic Jew, the physical descendants of Abraham, the actual physical de- descendants of Abraham, they are driven by a faith and a belief that the land of Israel belongs to them because of this promise right here. So when you turn on your news channel and you see uh, Middle East Peace Corps and everything and then you see this with the Palestinians and you see this with the Jewish people or you see this with the surrounding neighbors of Jordan and Syria and also Egypt in the south and you can just see the reason why that that group of men and women that when they were dispersed over the known world wanted to go back to that land it's because they believe in their heart of hearts that it belongs to them because God gave it to them by promise to their father Abraham. Right, so what was happening 3,500 years ago is still relevant today, right? Still in the news today. And so while this is true and to a certain degree, my question for us is, and this is where I want to make it personal, and this is where I've got to really dial this in tonight because I've got a limited time. We don't have a service next week, um, or we do, but it's different. Um, but my question is, but who are the covenant children of Abraham? That's what I wanted to kind of, I want to take it and I want to spell it out for you here. But I want, I want to show you something tonight. Some of you are familiar with this, but I want, to take, I, want you to, I want you to see something that I see and that others see because I think it could change your entire perspective. I wrote down a few notes and I'll take you to a passage in just a minute. If I were to ask you who are the covenant children of Abraham, some of you may have said, well, the first response would be the natural lineage of Jews. Jews according to the flesh. I often hear people say Israel is God's chosen people. And I wrote it this way, while that is true to a degree, there is another application of that statement that I want you to get down in your spirit because I want you to see yourself the way that God sees you. Now, time's not going to allow me to differentiate fully between the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant, but always remember that those are two different covenants. The covenant that happened at Mount Sinai with the children of Israel were based upon the works of the law. But the covenant that was given to Abraham wasn't given to Abraham based upon his works, but God's works. God promised it to him by oath. God just declared it. It was up to Abraham to just believe it. And so first we must understand that the covenant, though, was never with the natural seed of Abraham only. And so I've got several reasons to justify this. All of Abraham's house was to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant, including the slaves that were born in his house. And that would bring them into that covenant. But farther than this, even the Mosaic law and the covenant made with Israel included a mixed multitude. So there were more than just the natural descendants of Abraham. There was a distinction made between Isaac, the son of promise, and a distinction made between Ishmael, the son of the flesh. And the reality is, and the point I'm making is I want to show you something. When you first think about who who are the covenant children of Abraham, we often say the ethnic Jew. But if you look at it, just to be honest, Ishmael was an ethnic Jew in that sense. He was of the natural lineage of Abraham. But also, when Abraham's wife Sarah died, Abraham remarried. And he fathered more sons than just those two. 
And so there's a, there's, a, there's a principle that I want to take you to tonight. There's a revelation about who are the covenant. I want to put it on the board because I want you to see this. Who are the covenant children of Abraham? Because when you read this, oftentimes when you think about Israel, when you think about the state of Israel, you say, man, that's God's chosen people. You better not mess with Israel. I heard people say that all my life. You better not mess with Israel. That's God's chosen people, and I'm all for that. But I want you to see a different perspective tonight. There's a deeper application of that in the Word of God that should cause you and I to shut and raise our hands and run around here shouting and rejoicing when we understand what happened at the cross of Calvary. And the power, the virtue of the blood that Jesus shed. So while there's great revelation throughout all the word of God concerning the Abrahamic covenant, the greatest revelation comes to us through, let me go ahead and erase some of this. I know I only got about 15 minutes, so I got to go real fast to, to kind of bring you to where I wanted you to be at here tonight. Is my personal opinion, the greatest revelation is given to us by means of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul gains insight concerning the very thing that we're talking about here tonight, covenant, and who are the children of Abraham. And so we have numerous writings about Paul as Paul is fighting for this principle. Paul's gained a revelation that even the apostles that walked with Jesus did not have as clearly as he did himself. Because there was tension between him and the other disciples because of the revelation that he possessed. He, he had a revelation of the inclusion of the Gentiles at a level that the other disciples themselves did not necessarily have, not, have, have had yet revealed to them. So in the book of Galatians, we're going to jump all the way to chapter number 3. And we're going to kind of just, what we're doing tonight is we are doing what you've always wanted to do in the summertime when you were a kid and your mom and dad bought you a watermelon. And you went right for the heart, and your mom's like, no. And you had to start out on the outer edge and work your way in the middle, right, and fight through the seeds. Well, tonight we're going right to the heart of the watermelon tonight. So I've jumped through a lot of stuff just to get right here to Genesis chapter, or excuse me, Galatians 3. I just had this on my heart, and I couldn't get away from it. I knew I had a limited window. But I gained such an inspiration, this, in my heart and life, and we're going to be in this passage to conclude here tonight. But I just want you to read this with me. Let's just read this for just a moment. Don't forget what we've already read. Don't forget about the promise. Don't forget about the land. Don't forget about the descendants. Don't forget about the, uh, the nation and the kings and then the promise that it was made to his seed. Now, notice this. Paul is picking up this argument. And he says, as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Did we read that? Did we read that in Genesis chapter number 15? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now let's go on down. Let's read it a little bit farther. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Through you, Abraham, every nation on the face of the earth is going to have an opportunity to discover of the glory of God. That's powerful. You have to just see that. At the time that God made this promise to Abraham, 
there was a plurality of gods. The, uh, the people of Haran, if I'm saying it correctly, were, were uh, pluralistic in their worship of, of gods. And so God is revealing himself to Abraham. And God is saying that of all the nations in the earth, they're going to have an opportunity uh, through you, Abraham, to discover the revelation of the one true God. And, and it says here that, in, where am I at? Verse number 8. Scripture foreseeing God would preach the, the gospel unto Abraham, and these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. Obviously, Paul is having to to combat the thought that, the, that in order to walk in the covenant blessing of Abraham, you have to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. We're not going to go in that argument tonight. We don't have time to dialogue this, but that's part of the reason why he's writing to the Galatian church. But he says here in verse number 14 that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So let's go down just a little bit further. I want you to see something. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. And it's the latter part of this that i got to draw your attention to. Really, the life of it's in the last four verses, but I want, I want to read this in building it up. I speak after the manner of men. Verse number 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now notice this. So you think about all those promises that I had written right here. The last thing I put on the very bottom was this. The promises were made to his seed. But notice how Paul interprets this. Paul says, he saith not and deceives as of many, but as of one. Let that sink in for just a minute. And to thy seed, which is Christ. And that's why the genealogy of Matthew, I believe it is, starts with the, um, the genealogy of Jesus beginning in Abraham, either Matthew or Luke. And he takes you from Abraham all the way to Joseph because Jesus was of the seed of Abraham. And he was the promise. He was making the promise. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So he's still going, he's dialoguing about the law. This discussion tonight is not about the law, but it's, the law had a purpose. We're not really going into that. I want you to just see who was this covenant promise made? That we talked about, and I had listed all these promises over here. And so he said, it was made with thy seed, right? Not in a plurality, but in a singular sense. That's what Paul is arguing. Paul is saying it wasn't in a plurality. He said it's not seeds as of many, but it's as of one. That there was one coming that the promise would pass from Abraham actually to the seed of Abraham. So let's go ahead. And who was that seed? If you want, let me just put it down here. Who was that seed? It was Christ, right? And so Paul is revealing something to us that sent uh, reverberations all across the, 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 the early church because the early church uh, started in the, in the Jewish community. He said, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then, look at this, Paul is summarizing his statement right here. If you are Christ, then are you 
Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Now, I'm telling you, I want to I just stop right there and let, you, let that sink in for just a moment. I want you to let that sink in for just a moment, because when you're trying to take very deep subject matters like this and narrow it down to just one little sliver of time on a Wednesday night, we're, our, our objective here is studying the book of Genesis. We're looking at the heart of it, and we went right to Abraham and a covenant that was made. That covenant that was made included the promise of nations that would come forth out of him. That promise included land. That promise included being blessed to be a blessing. That all the nations of the world would be blessed. And the apostle Paul, 1,500 years later, 2,000 years later, gains revelation that that covenant was not necessarily to just the natural descendants of Abraham, the ethnic Jew, but that the promise was being made singularly, not seeds as of many, but as of one, and it was to Christ. And you and I, though we are not ethnic Jews, I'm not an ethnic Jew. There might be an ethnic Jew here tonight. I'm kind of a compilation of a multitude of nationalities, and probably are some of you, right? I got as much Indian in me as Elizabeth Warren. Probably more. Yeah, I just felt I just threw that out there. Call her Pocahontas, call me Tecumseh. So with that said, but you know what? I can stand here before you tonight based upon the revelation of Galatians chapter number 3 and say this, I am a covenant child of Abraham tonight. Now, why am I saying that to you? Because it, we have a distinction in our minds so much. We look at even the modern state of Israel. And I guarantee you, you have sat at home and you have watched. You remember watching the Persian Gulf War. And you can see and you felt like, man, God was protecting Israel. You said that, didn't you? And you said, man, they're making a mistake. They, they better not, you know, because Saddam Hussein, you know, he launched some rockets over towards Israel a couple of times. And some of the rockets got through, but some of the others were, were stopped. I guarantee you, you've said, so you better not mess with Israel. That's God's chosen people. But I want you to see tonight that if you're in Christ, you are a covenant child of Abraham, right? And you are heirs to the promises of God. And that would change. Once you get that revelation inside your spirit, it will change your entire perspective of who you are, how you're to live. You know how you're to live? You are blessed to be a blessing. The favor of God's upon your life because he wants and he desires. He's chosen you. I didn't see that Abraham chose God. I see that God chose Abraham. And I remember what Jesus said. He said, you didn't choose. He said, I chose you. God chose you. And when he chose you, he chose to bless you, your house, and your household. That through you, the blessing of God might be readily known to people who don't know Christ. That'll give you a purpose every day that you get up. I'm blessed with faithful Abraham. I have a distinction in my life. I have a call on my life. I'm going to walk in covenant blessings with God. I'm an heir to the covenant promises of God. The favor of God. How many of you saw the favor of God on Abraham? If you had read the book of Genesis, you'll see there was a time that his wife was taken from him one time by the Egyptian king. God stepped in, started slapping hemorrhoids on everybody. For, I, I read it, it's in the Word of God. And that king got up and said, man, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife, not your sister? You know, God protected him. Why, why am I saying that to you? God will protect you because you're a covenant child of Abraham. But you have to believe it. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him to righteousness. 
And so when you get this principle deep inside of you, then you begin to petition God differently. You're a son or a daughter of faith. You have covenant rights and benefits and graces. Time doesn't allow me, but as this thing unfolds, every time I study this, I find myself in in Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11 is kind of wrap around, and I think for the sake of time, I'll just show you a couple things. It's 754. It's just getting good in here tonight. All right, we're telling JoJo we're canceling one tree night because we're going to be in the olive tree instead. But in Romans chapter number 11, verse number 17, you have heard me preach this many times, but Paul said that you've been grafted into the olive tree, and listen to this, and you draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. What does that mean? That means that the promises of God that you oftentimes have read and said, well, that belongs to Israel. I've shown you tonight by the writings of the Apostle Paul that you are a child of Abraham, an heir to the covenant promises of God, that you draw from the root and the fatnesses of the tree. And so with that said, if David could be anointed, you can be anointed. If Elijah could prophesy, you can prophesy. Right? As the Spirit of God could come upon your, uh, on the families in the Word of God, if God would protect them you know, from, the, from the, the heat by cloud or by the, the cold by fire, God will protect you and minister to your life. Those are the promises that we see in the Word of God and a stimulus uh, by faith. And when you begin to see this, and I guess what I'm trying to say, and I know I've got to wrap up because I can't keep you. This is so difficult to do because it's just so deep and you're, so, and you're trying to skim over it so, so quickly. I just wanted you to see tonight... That church family, when I look at, when I, when I see something for a moment real quickly, I think about the modern state of Israel. The modern state of Israel exists because of the blessing of God. I, I, I believe that, don't you? I believe that. It exists surrounded by Islamic countries that want to drive them into the Mediterranean Sea. But they exist because God has blessed them. But I grieve oftentimes because I hear Christians lower yourselves down as if there is God Israel, and the church. But it's not the way it is. Paul said if you're in Christ, he said we are all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And when you see that, it changes your whole perspective of faith. And it allows you to approach God with a confidence that you're his son and you're his daughter. Come on. Amen. And the covenant promises, you know what? They belong to you through Christ. They do. And I want to see you be blessed to be a blessing. i got to wrap it up here tonight. And I hate it because I feel like I've just, I'm just on the, the outskirts of this at all. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. Well, that's just part of what we're doing and that's just part of life. Right? Eva, go ahead. Sure. Uh huh. Right. That's right. That's right. That's a great point. Let's go. Let's go ahead. Let me let me close with in that in that same vein real quickly because I you know I moved you so quickly you know I just I put up I put up Genesis twelve fifteen and seventeen where the covenant was promised, it was initiated, and it was renewed. 
And then I gave you five little stimuluses of the covenant, some of those promises, including great nation and everything from there. And then I quickly jumped you 2,500 years in human history to the time of Paul when he has the revelation that this promise was made not to seeds as of many, all the ethnic Jews, but the promise was made to Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're a covenant heir. You are an heir to the, to, the, to the covenant promises of God. You're a child. It plainly says that you are a children of Abraham. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that, that's what, I mean, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to suppose some. I want you to see this. And when that happens, there's a stimulus of faith that goes beyond just positive thinking. There's a creative value and a sense of value that God chose me. He chose me. The way he chose Abraham, he chose me. And he brought me into this family of faith. It's a covenant family of faith. And you and I get this in your spirit. You are blessed to be a blessing. Live your life that way. Live your life walking in the favor of God. Don't sing the song, woe is me, you know, uh, all your life. Get that stuff out. I mean, and I'm not saying it just in, the, in, in a, well, you got to have a positive. No, let faith arise. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I want to encourage you to go back and read that passage. And so the last thing, just real quickly in closing this out, and it's already 8 o'clock. You know, this all ties together. And this is why Paul said in, in Ephesians chapter number 2, and you hear me sing this and say this from this pulpit so often. When it's in Ephesians chapter number 2, it says, You are no longer strangers and foreigners to the covenant promises of God, but you are heirs of the commonwealth of Israel. You are heirs to the covenant promises of God. And so, man, trust the Lord. Believe God. Walk in faith. Walk in the, the goodness of God. You've been blessed. Nations are come forth out of you. That's how I pray over my children. They're blessed. Come on, they're like olive plants around about my table. I believe that you need to pray that way for your family as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, I feel, God, like I just looked at the tip of the iceberg, God, and just like I was looking at, a, Father, just an ice cube. And down below it is, uh, Father God, is, is an iceberg the size of uh, Mount Everest. And, and, and so, Father, that's the way this truth is about that we are grafted into the olive tree. We're adopted into the family of God. We have the covenant promises of faith. We're in Christ Jesus by faith, Father, and we are so thankful for it tonight. I pray over my church family tonight. I pray that they'll that let this be a stimulus. That's, if there's nothing comes out of this tonight other than just a stimulus for them to study the, the, the writings of Paul differently. And Father, I remember what Paul said. He said, I pray that when you read, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And God, what that, how that will liberate us as individuals, God, to see who we are in Christ Jesus, that we are the covenant children of Abraham by faith. Thank you for this truth. God, sow it deeply into the heart and life of our church family. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. So now, remind you... JoJo did a great job. He wants to invite everybody back next week, but you just know at 6.15 service starts, going to have a different flair and flavor about it. Come out and support the kids. Um, I look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning. God bless. God.